You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning. Cool. Like that, huh? So today I will be drinking um, from this smoked glass, right? It says, uh, Into All the World, has a little image of Guatemala in the background, the Village Church, Global Go 2022. It's a commemorative cup. Uh, You can grab your own today or while supplies last at the coffee bar over there for just $10. Uh, You have to put your own water in it. We can supply that if you want. Um, these won't last forever, but for real, we have some leftovers from the, um, we tried to raise some money and, and super thankful for all of you who bought stuff and, and contributed, uh, to the, the fun, that money and the money that you spend on this nice cup will go to help, uh, us continue to strengthen our global partnerships with churches in Guatemala and in particular help get those who are going to Guatemala in, uh, not very long, is it, Tammy? Like a little over a month? Uh, beginning of June, so two months-ish. Uh, Thirteen of us will be hanging out there, and so your contribution, I mean, you get the cup, but you're also helping out a, a good cause to help some people get on the ground there in Guatemala. So that won't last forever. This is your warning and your invitation. And like any good preacher would do, speaking of invitations... Uh, they can bring incredible delight, all right? They can bring joy, and they can bring devastation and pain. Invitations can do that. Like when little Forrest Gump got on the bus, and he walked up, uh, and, and maybe you know this, maybe you don't. You can check out the scene later, but, but as he's walking in, he's trying to find acceptance, and what does he hear? He hears seats taken. And then he goes on, and then what does he hear? He, he, he hears, can't sit here. Right? And so those are uh, invitation denied. They're not letting him sit there. But then he hears the sweetest voice from his soon to be friend Jenny, and she says, You can sit here if you want. (laughs) That is invitation sent and invitation received. And in that little moment, like the fresh air of acceptance, a seat to sit on a on a bus, but in the greater scheme, we feel that. And we know what's going on, and we've been in, on that bus proverbially, and, and so to speak, like he's looking for a place to belong, a, a seat to sit in, a, a, a place to fit in. And on the other hand, we get invitations all the time, lots of invitations in, in lots of ways, and some are appreciated, and, and others maybe not so much. And, and we get invitations to parties or to, to showers of all types, baby and bridal and all the things. And the kids these days, they just have parties for everything, right? Uh, local events, some private, some public. We get invitations through advertisements. Eat this, drink that, take this pill, use this cream, get this injection, do this exercise and you will be healthier and, and better looking and you'll feel better and you'll be younger and you'll be happier. It's the same play that's been going on for a long, long time, for ages. It is the search for the fountain of youth. Drink and you'll live forever. The play is obvious. The, intent, the, the invitation isn't for your gain in any of those things. It's for their gain. Yet the void 
within us. It magnifies the need and it opens us to throw money and time and hope uh, to, to get whatever it is that the invitation is inviting us into. And in some cases, think pyramid scheme. We're even invited in and, and we, we buy in and then we join in the work to invite others to buy in, to sign up, to hope in, to throw their money at all the same. Invitations are, are everywhere, but not all of them carry the same weight, nor do they demand the same response. So in this passage today that we're looking at in, in John chapter 7, the back end of it, we've been walking through John for months now, a long time, and we'll keep doing that for a little while longer, then we'll take a break, and then we'll finish out the year with some other stuff, and then we'll hop back into John at some time in the future. But we have a, a few more months left. Uh, in this, this series through John chapter 7, we see an invitation from Jesus, and what we have to figure out in and this passage is, is three things. What is the invitation? What is it? Who is it for? Like, am I invited? And, and three, how do I respond? That's what we get to figure out today. The big idea is, is this. The invitation to believe is an invitation to drink from the fountain of living water. The invitation to believe is an invitation to drink from the fountain of living water. So we'll look at this kind of in, in three chunks. Uh, the invitation expires, the invitation is public, and the invitation divides. And if, if you need to kind of follow along in that, there are some broad strokes of that in the weekly. If you grabbed one of those on your way in, uh, all this is in there as well. So the first thing is this, the invitation expires. And so let's start reading John chapter 7, verse 32. I just want to read a few verses. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. And the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Remember, we're at a, a feast that's the culmination of a, a multi-week-long festival that's commemorating some historical Jewish stuff. And so you have lots of people in town, uh, the, the, the key players, the Pharisees, the ones that are kind of ruling all the things. Um, they overhear what's going on and said so they send some people out to arrest Jesus. Then Jesus said, I will be with you a little longer and then I'm going to him who sent me. He said this many times already. He's saying, I'm going back to my father. The father, your father, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the father, God the father, he's the one who sent me. And he's been trying to tell them this for a long time. He says, so I'm going to be with you a little while longer than I'm going back uh, to the one who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. So the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go where we will not find him? Like, what is he talking about? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? Which makes perfect sense to all of us, right? No, I'll talk about it in just a second, right? I know, you read that and you're like, what is that? It's okay. Well, what does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? The big thing that he means by that is, is the invitation expires, at some point, before Jesus sends the invites, he's giving a warning. The warning is for them to make a decision because time is limited. 
He's setting them up. I'm getting ready to make you an offer. And you're going to be like indifferent or you're going to reject that or maybe you're going to accept that. But I just want you to know that there's coming a time when, when this won't be on the table, which is super relatable, right? It, it, there is a need uh, for this type of warning. It is warranted from Jesus because we know us. You receive the invite, whatever it is. Facebook invite, an envelope like in the mail, a text, hey, you hanging out at the, whatever it is, you receive it and, and you read it and then you, you don't respond. Now, I know there's like 3% of you that are like, no, I'm, right. But by and large, you don't respond. Maybe you read it again, maybe you discard it and it ends up being like under your car seat and you never saw it again and you missed out on the thing. But, but you read it and you don't respond. Maybe you check your calendar. Maybe you, uh, you, you consider like, oh man, do I have any other obligations when that thing's happening? Or um, are there any better options? <laughs> maybe you think, do I even want to do that? Maybe you think, should I do that? Like I know all of you motivated by should I's, right? Because I'm, I'm married to one of those do I want to? Should I? Is this best? Humans are non-committal by nature. Uh, if I click going or if I RSVP for the, the steak instead of the chicken or vice versa, whatever it is, if I let people know that I'm going, if I place my order, then I'm on the hook. But maybe I can, I can just wait and see if something better comes along. That's what we do. So Jesus, on the front end of this, he, he buffers this human response with a preface to his invitation. This opportunity will not last forever. Like maybe he's the initiator of like the, the marketing that you see now. Like, wow, supplies last, right? That's why everybody ran over and got one of those cups. If I told you there were 75 of them, you might be less inclined. But if I said there were five, okay. I don't know how many there are. I can't tell you. Somewhere in between, I'll tell you that. <clears throat> so he's buffering that, right? And what he's doing, he's, he's saying this invitation does expire. He's emphasizing the urgency of the invite. He's saying, you need to respond to this. Things are going to change. You can't wait forever to decide to, to respond to the invite. Time, the, the time is now. So he says, I will be with you a little while. And then I'm going back to my father. And you won't be able to come to me you won't be able to come with me. You'll seek me and you will not find me. And, 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 and so they're confused and they say, say, like, say what? Is he going to the Greeks and the scattered Jews among them? Like the dispersion is often when a people group is by persecution or whatever, that they are, they are uh, you think about ants on a piece of candy and someone steps on it and the ants just like, ah! they just go home, right? They just get out of there. That's what's happened to God's people many times, Right? Some, some evil emperor, he, he puts his fist down and, and they're scattered out. And so that's the dispersion, the, the Jews that are gone. And so they're saying, like, was well, he going to go preaching to Greeks now? Because it's so interesting because they thought it was just for them. They thought Jesus was coming just for them. It was, it was their deal. One says it this way. At first, it seems pointless to include their speculation like, why would he put that in there? Like, why does John even say this thing about the Greeks or whatever? But, but their question is important because it's foreshadowing. After Jesus dies, he is buried. And after he's buried, he, he rises again. And he teaches his disciples for, for 40 days. And then he ascends to the right hand of the Father. Once he leaves, he's been 
uh, investing into his disciples. And so he, he sends them out. And he says, go and tell people. His disciples begin telling others about this Jesus. They come under severe persecution. They are dispersed from Jerusalem. You can read about that in the book of Acts. It's basically that. Many of them travel and they begin to tell non-Jewish people, the Greeks, about Jesus. Eventually the message of Jesus finds the ear of Everyone, no country, ethnicity, gender, class, language, no people are excluded from the invitation that Jesus gives. That's why that statement matters. John knows that. He knows where he's going, and he lets us in a little bit. This scene isn't in isolation from what we've been interacting with, nor from, from what we will interact with as we can continue to see John tell us about Jesus. But the setup is clear. Jesus is extending an invitation, and it requires a response, and the offer won't last forever. When I was a kid, I watched this cartoon called Inspector Gadget. And he was cool. And I still sing that song a lot. Um, it's a good one. You should check it out. Not now, though. Uh, that would be distracting. So, so he's a spy, and he's terrible, and his like, niece, Penny, she's always solving the stuff, and he's bumbling, and whatever. He figures it out, and he always gets the bad guy or whatever. But, but at the beginning, they would always give him like the thing, and, and they would say, hey, do you want to accept this thing? It's Mission Impossible style, the same thing. Here is an, an, uh, a mission. Should you choose to accept it, you need to do X, Y, and Z. This message will self-destruct. It won't last forever. Like, you can come and talk to me now, and you can play this over again if you want, but there will come a time when you can't come back to this message because it will self-destruct, and that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, because there is, is coming a time when you'll want to, to read my message again. You'll want to find me, and I won't be here. Just as the truth lands with them, and it rings true uh, with them in the room, it, it also rings true with us. The invitation is coming. The save the date has been sent. And when we hear it, it will require a response. Every one of us, not mom and dad responded, not like every single one of us will have to respond to the invitation that Jesus is laying out before us. So the, the point in all this, acknowledge the urgency of Christ's invitation. Today, you get to acknowledge that there is some urgency in our response in the way that we live. Now, we don't have to freak out. There's some beauty in, in, in all this being wrapped up by what Christ has already done, and, and he invites us to join in. We don't have to freak out. We don't have to, to bear weight that we can't bear. We don't have to hide in caves or, or build bunkers uh, under our house. We don't have to do any of those things. We get to to pay our taxes, and we get to build houses, and we get to establish families and plant gardens, just as God has told his people to do when they were exiled in other contexts. We get to do those things, but, but we can't claim undecided forever. We get to respond. The invitation expires. The second thing we see is the invitation is public. Let me read starting in verse 37 through 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out. If you remember, like, he wasn't 
going to go, and then he went, and he's just been listening, and now he stands up, and he engages. It's like at the end, uh, full spectacle. It's, it's the, the last show is on, and it's a big climactic ending to the week, uh, and, and Jesus stands up, and he cries out. It's a passionate plea. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's the invitation. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not glorified. Again, a little foreshadowing. Jesus dies, some stuff happens. The Holy Spirit is, is um, sent out to all who might believe it. And it's the one that, that stirs hearts and, and gives gifts and points to the glory of Jesus in, in lots of ways. So what we see it's, it's the last day of the festival. To better understand the nature of this invitation, we need to understand the scripture that Jesus is pointing at. He, he's saying that there is a reality and I'm asking you to drink of this water according to the scriptures. And whenever we're reading that in the New Testament, we get to say like, according to what scriptures? Like let's flip the pages back a little bit and, and let's see. And, and thankfully we live in such a time where you don't have to look very hard. There's probably a tiny little uh, letter or number that will tell you in your Bible like where that's coming from. And so we, we get to understand this a little better by doing a little work, right? We may not be aware what he's saying when we read this, but the Jews that he's interacting with, they knew what he was talking about right away. It was a, a dead connection. He's connecting kind of the red yarn, you know, like when you're trying to solve the thing and you have the picture and the newspaper clipping and all this stuff, and he's putting these, these, these uh, red pieces of yarn, and, and he's connecting one to history and the other to himself, and he's doing it time and time again. We get to see the big picture because we know how this thing ends, at least so far as we've been alive. We know what Jesus is setting up because we can read along. But these people, they're just picking up the clues. So we get to put them together a little bit, right? So streams of living water will flow from deep within. Like what is he talking about. He's pointing back to Isaiah, who turns out, like 700 plus years before this, he's the one that actually sent the save the date, this invitation. He's the one that sent it and let us know what's going on. And so uh, I'm going to give you a, a quick kind of summary of, of Isaiah, right? It's a book in the Old Testament. It's a huge book, right? So uh, one commentator kind of summed this up, and so I'm going to do a bit of uh, skimming here. So Isaiah, a major prophet, there are 66 books in the book of Isaiah. That's a lot for those of you who don't know. About 750 BC or BCE, however you like it, reading through it uh, now, we see this, that for the first 39 chapters, it's mostly judgment. Like many of the Old Testament prophets, for 39 chapters, mostly judgment to Judah, to Jerusalem, to the surrounding nations. And we see these kind of glimpses of hope within, but, but things really take a turn in chapter 40. In chapter 40, the warnings of ju judgment kind of shift to promises of hope and promises of salvation, and that continues for the remaining 26 chapters. <clears throat> All that centers on someone called the servant, 
You tracking? Right? You good? Chapter 52, we find that the servant is actually God himself. Right? He makes some connections to let the reader see that. Chapter 53, we find that the servant will bring salvation by hanging on a tree. That's kind of a big deal. Remember, 700 years before Jesus, that, that he will suffer and die in the place of sinners. Chapter 54, we find that the death and the resurrection of the servant allows God to offer an, an eternal covenant of peace, and we can live free of fear and judgment. And as one says, if you read Isaiah's book, by the time you reach chapter 55, which is the one that Jesus kind of quotes here, right, in John 7, you know God will send his servant who is God to save his people from judgment. So if we compare what Jesus is saying, you can check this out, in John 7, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. In Isaiah 55, he says, come everyone who is thirsty, come to the water. Everyone in the room knew what Jesus was doing. He was making claims about himself that they're like, this is out of hand. Like, how can you say, right? Jesus, the Messiah, the servant, the son of God, he invites thirsty people to come to him and drink. So, so when we hear the invitation to come and drink, we don't, we don't get how important it is. We, we can hardly connect with, with all the imagery that we read about in the scriptures. We are virtually never in a place where we can't drink under normal circumstances. And I know, like you were in a place once and their water fountain was out. I, I get it, right? By and large, I mean, it, it's tough to be at a place where you can't get fresh drinks. So he says, whoever believes, and the connection is, is whoever is thirsty, whoever believes, like, we can't grasp it, minus maybe being in a sports context or, or that one example that you have, because we don't live in the desert in the, the first century. We don't, we don't have that, right? In the desert, you don't have endless walls of cheap bottled liquid and, and free fountains of water everywhere you go. Or, or if you have just a couple bucks, you can just very quickly do the thing and go. You can drink whatever you want. They didn't have that. In, in fact, for the majority of human history, I, I know you know this, but for the majority of human history, getting food and, and drink was, was the most important thing that you did throughout your day. It, it, everything else was built around that. I, I heard a podcast not long ago, they were talking about breakfast and like breakfast cereal and how big of a deal, like it's nothing. You pour it in, you pour the milk and you eat or whatever and you're like, it's fine. It was like four bucks for a box of it, it's fine. That was never a thing. It, this was a three-hour ordeal for the, the vast majority of human history. Just to, just to wake up and eat. Drinking. It's, it's labor. Drinking is labor for these people. It's not just, yeah, yeah, what do you want? Endless. Push the button. It just comes out. But you don't have to. Just put your hand under it. It just comes out. It's, it's insane. What a time to be alive. Most people, they didn't know that. So when Jesus says that he'll give, that, that's, why, that's why the woman at the well says, give me this water. Because this is labor. 
hey, what, if you eat of me, you, you won't give us this meal because it's labor. So when Jesus says he'll, he'll give the thirsty water, we must understand the gravity of the situation. Right? We have to remember that he's, he's saying this on the final day of, of the festival of, of shelters or, or booths or, or whatever you want to call it. And, and what that is intended to do is to commemorate a time in, in Israel's history when they were stuck in the desert. So what all this is about, it's, it's a big festival remembering how God provided for them in the desert. Those who are thirsty in a desert are dying. The, the Christ-centered uh, expository commentary, I think that's what it was. Um, they, they said this time, like time and time again, it's super helpful. Those who are thirsty in the desert are dying. And, and they go on, they say, this is why so many of the miracles during the time of Israel's wandering in the desert had to do with water. We read them and we're like, ooh, water. Yeah, 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 you know. It's not what they're thinking. Moses striking a rock and water pouring out. Moses commanded to speak to a rock so water would come out of it. God providing water in the midst of the desert. In a desert, water means life. And Jesus is inviting the dying to come to him for life. Are you dying? Yes. We are all dying. What can we do about it? Well, Jesus invites the dying to come to him, the one in the desert with, with his strength fading, struggling to go on. He hears the promise of water and he knows that that is his only hope. So it's, it's this idea that we've been talking about that, that the invitation is, is really built around desperation, that your only hope is Jesus. Only Jesus can give you the water that you need that brings you life. Only Jesus can give you life. Look at the promise. Not only will he give you a drink, but he will put a river of water in your heart. Why is every city on the planet built around a port and a river? Because it's life. And we, we discovered that by looking at maps. They discovered that because it was their life. It's great to have a cup of water. If you're in the desert, what's even better to have a, a living river, a, a river of, of rushing, living water. So for them, it guarantees life. It is a source of unending life. That's what Jesus is inviting them into. That's what he's offering. This is what he promises. If you come to me, I will give you unending life by putting my spirit inside of you. And he will be a, a river of life. He will actually take up residence inside of you as life in a body otherwise doomed for death. And the beauty is that there is no desert, there is no drought that can ever cause it to run dry. That's the invitation that Jesus is offering. And what's interesting is as Isaiah, as he reads on, as he continues on in Isaiah 55, like we know from the commercials that everything comes with a catch. And all the, the invitations and the advertisements, all that comes with a catch, or it comes at a great cost. Either uh, it's too good to be true, that's probably the case. You, no, I won't crush your dreams. Um, just keep buying the thing, and it's, pro it's probably going to do whatever it says that it's going to do. It's, it's either too good to be true, or it's only for the rich, and only for the powerful, and only for the influential, and only for the famous, right? Like, I couldn't have that for free, 
what am I going to offer Jesus? If he's promising me this life, what can I possibly give to earn whatever it is that he's offering? And we actually only answer from Isaiah. And Jesus, again, he knows this. Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water. This is Isaiah. And, and you without silver, come by and eat. Come buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. You don't have to bring a gift. You don't have to buy a ticket. You don't have to have the right credentials. You don't have to be someone to anyone. You don't have to have the corner office or, or uh, influence a thousand people or, or to be happy and healthy and wealthy and young and fashionable and, and cool and, and be part of the social elite. You don't have to be any of those things. You just have to believe in the one who sent the invitation and you have to come to him with empty hands, a humble heart, and a thirst for life that you've never experienced from anything that this world has to offer. That's the invitation. If you don't come while you have a choice, while you live in this life, you won't have the chance afterwards. And, and as we read on in Isaiah, well, how do I come to him? What does that mean? We know that he stands and he's saying this, it's a public invitation. Well, then what do I have to do? Again, Isaiah 55, 7, let the wicked one abandon his way. And, and the sinful one abandon his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will freely forgive. I know, you don't deserve the water. You don't deserve this eternal spring that Jesus offers. That's okay. None of us do. So long as you know that you don't deserve it, then you are a prime candidate to drink from this living well. Whoever believes, this is what he says, according to what is true, out of his heart will flow streams of living water. So this is, uh, this is a foreshadow as well to, to the future where the Holy Spirit will indwell believers, where the, the Holy Spirit will, will take up residence inside of all who believe. And not only will 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 there be a fountain within them? But, but there will also be a fountain through them, a fountain of life through them by the Spirit for all who trust in Jesus, for all who believe as they are equipped and empowered, established and sent to give others this same river of life. It's not like a canteen and like, well, I found, I found the fountain of youth. You know, how many stories have been written throughout history? And you know what no one does? They don't just go tell everybody because it's a limited supply. Canteen in the desert, you're keeping that to yourself because it's your life. And if they find out, then, then they take your life from you. That's, that's not the case. We're invited in, we're invited to, to drink and to be satisfied and established by this, this living water that, that uh, runs through us and then we get to invite others into it. The invitation is, is so incredible that all who accept it get to pass it along to anyone else who might come. It isn't private. It's not members only, but it's, but it's uh, share settings are, are wide open for those who drink to offer the same drink to others. This is why we, as the Village Church, are, are both a community that's formed by the gospel 
We're shaped by this Jesus. Inside of us, he conforms us to his image. He transforms us by, by the truth that he offers. He tears down our walls of, of pride and, and arrogance and he invites us into eternal life to be with him, to be with God forever. But we're not only a, a, a community that's formed by that, but, but we're also sent with the same gospel. We're sent out to tell others. It's why we baptize Last week, we, we baptize into, the, into gospel community and we baptize into gospel mission. It is this water that flows into us by faith and, and through us by power by the Holy Spirit who saves any that might be saved. The invitation is, uh, the invitation expires, the invitation is public, and the invitation divides. Well, this is what we've seen all along and it's kind of more of the same. <clears throat> One might think if... if and offer this good like it's a no-brainer. Like, how could you reject that? How could you reject this Jesus who's giving us all of these things? But, but it isn't like that. In fact, some deny that they're thirsty at all. And some drink of other wells that promise life but end up being stagnant, dangerous, bitter wells that don't nourish or satisfy or flow or give life. Some seek the fountain of youth and they find empty wells that deliver a slow death. See, what Jesus exposes time and time again in them and in us is that pride is always at work in the heart of humanity. It, it's always at work in us. Religious pride suggests that it doesn't need a savior. These Jews, they don't think that they need someone to get these things for them because they think they can earn these things for themselves. That's what religious pride does. Now, now, worldly pride, apart from the acknowledgement of God in general, worldly pride lives as if it doesn't need saving. It's not that, that it doesn't need a savior, it's that it doesn't need saving at all. The self-righteous live as if they don't need forgiven of sin because they're not sinners. Maybe that's you, that's certainly the pages, uh, the people that we read about in these pages. The world rejects the notion of sin on account of, of being our own highest authority. And if you sit at the top, then God, these pages, some guy, or you, no one's going to tell you any different. You sit at the top, con confused, claiming that you don't need what it is that Jesus offers. We are, we are both and we are a whole spectrum of, of in-between, even in this room and, and certainly on these pages. Let, <clears throat> let's read on to see how what Jesus' invitation kind of divides, right? Verse 40, <clears throat> when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Deuteronomy stuff pointing back, or Exodus stuff, I think, pointing back to Moses. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and, and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Go figure. Everywhere he goes, the people are divided. And some believe and some reject. And some, some just wait with the invitation on their table. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? 
Like, where is he? Like, what are you doing here without Jesus? You were supposed to arrest him. Why did you not bring him? The officers, the officers answered. And you just have to imagine that the Jews, they just love this. No one has ever spoke like this man. So they sent him out to go arrest him. They're in the room just kind of staking out and they hear him talking. And then they maybe sit down and they're like, wow. This is really good. They're intrigued by him. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Oh, oh you, you're drinking the Kool-Aid now? You're suddenly on Team Jesus? Like, what about the conversation we had last night? We're supposed to get him, and we're going to uh, arrest him, and we're going to have him killed. What about all that? Where's that at? Have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd <clears throat> that does not know the law is a curse. So again, they're condescending. They're saying, yeah, does anybody who, who's educated, going back to what they said last week, Anybody who like knows the law believe in this guy or just the common crowd? And then, oh, Nico, Nicodemus, he shows up again. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before. Remember, he was confused and Jesus said, hey, like, you have to be born again. And, and he's like, that seems weird. How am I? Right? So there's been some interaction here. But Nicodemus, he's been around. And, and so he, he stands up as a voice of reason does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Gosh, a lot to learn from that. They replied, are, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. There's a lot of stuff in there. There's a lot going on. The Pharisees, the, the religious who lived by the law, seemingly only lived by the law when it was convenient to keep them, uh, to allow them to maintain control. Some of the crowd seem skeptical, and here's the thing. It's okay to be skeptical. Like, you probably shouldn't define yourself, like, primarily by being a skeptic, as in your identity. That's who you are. But, man, it's okay to be skeptical. It's okay to hear me talking right now and be thinking, hmm, that's okay. It's why we get to do this. You're in a safe place to be skeptical. Jesus wasn't afraid of the skeptic. Not, not one bit, nor are we. We're super glad that you're around. Others seem to be willing to drink. And they say, yes, I, I'm believing what it is that he's, he's saying. I, I'm responding to the invitation. Others need more information. That's probably always me in every room. Hmm, I need more information, then I'll weigh in. Then Nico, our boy, he returns into the frame. And what you begin to see is that probably all of these people are the same people interacting weekend after weekend. And the religious people in the city are the religious people in the city. And so it's not like every time these are new characters, but they're getting to, to interact with and know one another. But he seems balanced and curious and he's giving benefit of doubt. In short, the invitation that Jesus sends, it divides the hearts of people in the room. It divides the groups of people in the room. It divides the attention and the devotion and the allegiance and the decisions of the people in the room. And it may well divide you from others in the room. And here's the thing. At times, you may be divided within yourself about what to do with the invitation of Jesus. So the most important thing that we must embrace 
to drink from the fountain of living water is this, that, that we are in the desert, we are thirsty, we are longing for something that would satisfy most deeply forever. We are in the desert, and if, if you're thirsty in the desert, that means that you're dying. So my son plays basketball, and about six months ago, he's playing for his school, and while I said that you can get water anywhere, like COVID kind of changed it where people just shut off water fountains, right? That's what they did. So, so he goes to his basketball game, and we're like, hey, can you get water? Yeah, I have my water bottle. I'll just fill it up when I get to the game. Okay. Well, he didn't do that, but he had his water bottle, but it was empty, and like, we're, you know, parents, we're always mindful. Hey, does he get that thing? You know, like whatever. And we're like watching and he's playing basketball and he's sweating and like obviously thirsty. He comes out, he sits down, he doesn't drink. And we're just like, oh, dude, ask someone. Like just takes, you know, it, it became a game within a game for Kim and I. We're like, like, is he going to get water or not? Like what's going to happen? Is he just going to fall over? Like what, what are you doing here? So they go in at halftime and he leaves his water there. And we like, I think we like, Paid some kid or something. Hey, will you go fill up his water bottle? So they go, fill up his water bottle, set it back down there. He comes back out. He's playing basketball. He sits back down, and it's just sitting there. It's full of water, but we know it, but he doesn't know it. And we're like, dude, like, come It literally is a game within a game. We're like, just, you know, you know, and he's like, he's not paying attention. He doesn't care about us at all, and that's fine, you know. He's like doing his thing or whatever. And we're like, and he's like, you know, it's, it's empty. Okay, no, it's not. There's water, like. You have the water in front of you. Drink it. It's right there. No, it's not. It's empty. It's an empty well. It's not an empty well. I've tried that before and I felt my... No, no, no. The bottle is full of water. Just pick it up and drink. It's what Jesus is inviting them into. And, and for us, if we you know, scale out that analogy, maybe in the desert we're looking for water... Mm, let's dig for it. By our works, maybe we might find the thing that we need that, that satisfies, and maybe we use divining rods or some vague spirituality to give us what it is that we need. The living water, the thing that satisfies. Maybe we go to the next town and we ask, right? That makes sense. Maybe we become dependent upon the next thing to satisfy us. What about when you leave that town? We drink from every other well, and in the end of our days, we will, we will know that, that the offer Jesus makes is true and good and our only hope, and you may not be able to see it now, today, but my prayer and my invitation is that you would drink, that you would believe in him for, for living water according to what's true. It's right in front of you, and, and, and my prayer is that, that you would do that today, that you would... Humble yourself, and as Isaiah says, return back to God with a humble heart and empty hands. Say, so will you give me what it is that you're offering me? Will you give me you as the, the wellspring of my life? See, while God knows the number of your days, you don't. While God knows how all of this world stuff is going to unfold, you don't. I don't care what you read. <laughs> I don't care how informed you are. You just don't know how it's going to end. So why not today 
drink from the living well. The invitation to believe, that's always inviting you to do. Just believe and say, I, I'm in, and then we get to figure out what that looks like together. The invitation to believe is an invitation to drink from the fountain of living water. The band can come up. I want to I close out with this. Josh Redberg uh, writes this. He says, for decades, one of the first places immigrants to America landed was Ellis Island. They came hoping for a better life, longing for a chance to find happiness. Near Ellis Island was a statue, <clears throat> statue representing liberty. And the statue was an invitation, a poem by Emma Lazarus captured the invitation. Keep ancient lands your storied pomp. Cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. Lift my lamp beside the golden door. I know for some of you, are like, that doesn't mean anything. Some of you are like, words. But I think that we can see that that is a beautiful invitation. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. Man, like, like waves crashing on the shore, as many as would come, find your rest. And Jesus, to them in that room, to us in this room, extends a better invitation. Come weary and broken, come thirsty and dying, come to me and find life. And that's what we get to do today. So you can stand up right where you are. You can sing along with the band, right? You can pray over there uh, at that prayer bench if you want to just spend some time by yourself. You can sit right where you are. You can pray with someone by that red tree back there. They would love to pray with you about anything that it is. If you're at a place where you want to follow Jesus for the first time or you're struggling through whatever, they would love to pray with you. And if you're in Christ, then we invite you to, to remember and declare his work on our behalf by taking communion. And, and Scott mentioned uh, kind of the setup of how that will look a little different or just the same today. And so we do that to, to remind ourselves and one another that, that Jesus' body was broken for us, All right? And so we eat of the bread and his blood was spilled for us. And so we drink of the cup. We do that in remembrance of him as often as we do. But, but before we do that, we get to acknowledge where the Holy Spirit might be at work in us and we get to reflect and repent and respond of areas where there might be sin dwelling in us that he invites us to find life today. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father, thanks for the gift of your gathered people. Thanks for this word where you invite us to just believe Jesus stood up and he, and he cried aloud, passionately pleading, would you come to me and find life? And if you reject me, you will find nothing but death. Would you show us that we're thirsty and dying apart from you? We love you. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.